It's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension? There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Pumped hydro. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero. Global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Beyond Zero show. Recorded here in the studios at 3CR in Melbourne and syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network. It's podcasted on the internet at bze.org.au and at 3cr.org.au or whatever podcasting app you choose to use. You can follow us on Twitter at bze.techshow. My name is Laura and my co-hosts today are Michael and Kay. Hello, good morning. How are you guys? Good morning, Laura. Hi, Laura. How are you? Good, good. So today on the show, we'll be talking with Dr. Frank Bruno from the University of South Australia. He's an associate research professor at the Barbara Hardy Institute. Frank has an honours degree in mechanical engineering from the University of Adelaide and a PhD in mechanical engineering from the University of South Australia. He's been involved in energy research at the University of South Australia for 15 years. He is currently a senior researcher at the Institute of Sustainable Systems and Technology at the university, where he is involved in research on phase change materials, thermal storage, air conditioning, refrigeration, and low energy buildings. Just while we get him on the line, I'll just let you know what we'll be discussing with him. So Frank has recently won the Eureka Prize, which is one of Australia's prestigious science prizes, and his prize is regarding melting salt to store solar energy. So this is a really fantastic innovation and we're looking forward to having talked to us today about that. Let's see if we got Frank on the line. Yes, I'm here. Can you hear me now, Laura? Yes, we can. (laughs) Thanks for joining us. All right, let's get on with this discussion. I'm going to pass you over to Kay and Kay's going to get some questions going um, about your personal history and your Eureka Prize. Let's go. Hi, Frank. Frank, Hi, Kay. How are you? Frank, I was just wanting to start off, if you can tell us a little bit about how you first became interested in energy efficiency and the renewable energy industry. Yeah, okay. Um, as a child, I was very interested in the way that the, actually the internal combustion engine worked and as well as uh, the way the cars were designed. This is how I made up my mind at an early age that I wanted to become a mechanical engineer. So I did a mechanical engineering degree with honours at the University of Adelaide, which I completed in 1990. And then uh, I briefly was employed at Mitsubishi Motors Australia, where I did some design work there. Not being satisfied with the level of detail in the design work I was doing there, I made up my mind that my career was in research. I decided to do a PhD on engines, and the best place for me to do that at that time was at the University of South Australia, where they were, they were active in research on uh, using natural gas and internal combustion engines for buses. And that's, uh, it was at the University of South Australia where I obtained my PhD in 1997. Mm. During my PhD, I was also given opportunities to do some work and uh, testing of air conditioners as they have an air conditioning test facility there. And I came across uh, this phase change material work being done by a final year student, and that was about 1996. Given that there were limited opportunities in research in the internal combustion energy area, I decided to focus my research in, in, the, in these other areas. And so 
that's where I started my work in phase change materials. Uh, there was only a, about two or three people working in, on that in Australia at that time, but I believe that we could uh, lead this research uh, down the track nationally. Because phase change materials, which uh, being used for thermal storage, uh, uh, fits quite nicely with uh, renewable energy and energy efficiency, that's where I became interested in, in those areas, uh, renewable energy and energy efficiency. Mm-hmm. And can you give us a bit of a brief overview of your work leading the Thermal Energy Storage Group at the University of South Australia? Our work, initially when we started, our, our objective was to work on uh, phase change material thermal storage systems. It's, it was about doing the research on the thermal storage system side and not actually the materials. But for our research, we actually required phase change materials and we purchased those from overseas. But when we tested those materials, we found that they didn't actually meet the specifications which we were told, and, uh, and actually they were very poor. And so uh, we had decided that if we are going to continue to do work in this area, we needed to develop our own. And so having a background in mechanical engineering, I mean, we started, and most of my other team as well, we, we needed to start to learn up our chemistry, and um, we obtained the expertise and the, and the, and the knowledge to anyway, to eventually develop our own. So we make our, our own PCMs, develop new PCMs, as well as working on developing the thermal storage systems. Some of the projects that we've been working over the years, uh, first of all, we started on looking at phase change materials for air conditioning applications. And we particularly worked on a project where we used two different phase change materials which both work together to store heating and cooling for air conditioning at home. Then later on, uh, we, we, we looked at lots of other applications. For example, we looked at using phase change materials for cooling solar PV modules to keep their efficiency higher when the temperatures go uh, high. Then we moved on to refrigerator transport applications, which use uh, diesel-operated refrigeration systems to keep the refrigerated vehicle cool for the, uh, the transporting food. With phase change materials, you could actually have a system whereby you, you charge it overnight using electricity, which is a much more energy-efficient option. But it was over the last five years where we moved into stationary refrigeration applications. And I, I knew that that's where really the initial market could be because uh, that's where it's the most cost-effective. And that's where our uh, research, uh, really, uh, which won the Eureka Prize uh, just recently, uh, came from. Currently, our biggest focus is on using the phase change materials to store heat at high temperature for the applications of uh, concentrating solar power plants. And the majority of this work is funded by the Australian Solar Thermal Research Initiative, uh, known as ASTRI, which itself is funded by the Australian Renewable Energy Agency. Frank Michael here. Just, we've already mentioned phase change uh, quite a few times in this interview and uh, no doubt will in the rest of it. Just for those of us whose yep. science is um, too far in the background or didn't do it, um, you're talking about using the energy of, of transition from one state to another, which is often quite high, like changing from ice to water or water to steam or yep. molten salt to solid salt, and using that as an effective storage mechanism for energy. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Uh, our, our definition of a phase change material is a material that changes from a solid to a liquid or, or vice versa. And in the process, because during that phase change process, you can either store a lot of heat or release a lot of heat, so in a sense, store cooling. 
Mm-hmm. Yep. And so ice is the is the best example of a face change material. But the fa- um, we actually develop face change materials that melt and freeze at, at other temperatures, anywhere f- uh, from minus 30 up to 710 degrees we've been working with. And so they store uh, cooling or heating at, at the melting or freezing temperature that we develop that material for. Mm. And so the... Te- the- a material doesn't actually necessarily change temperature, it just changes state, and that's where you get your big energy input or output, the storage or the retrieval. That's where we get our, yeah, that's where we get our big uh, energy input or output. But at the same time, we, you, you do also get what's known as a rise or drop in temperature, the sensible storage component as yep. well. You could utilise that if you want to. Of course. So can you just um, briefly tell us how many researchers in your team, what area of study they come from? Are they material scientists, mechanical engineers, um, for people wanting to get into this field? Yeah, our team uh, actually comprises of researchers not only from Australia but uh, all over the world. But if I focus first of all on the members of the Thermal Storage Group, which are part of the the Barbara Hardy Institute, which is an institute within the School of Engineering at the University of South Australia, we have um, or three full-time postdocs, an engineer, two technical assistants, and we have over 10 PhD students uh, at the moment. Now, the, the postdocs and engineer uh, all have uh, backgrounds like myself uh, in mechanical engineering, but as I've mentioned, we, we have had to learn our uh, chemistry uh, very well. The PhD students that we've got, some of them are, have a mechanical engineering background, some of them have a chemical engineering background and and most recently we've obtained ones with electrical engineering because we also do research where we try to optimise the thermal storage into the grid or with uh, renewable energy systems so that requires electrical engineers. Within the university we also work with other people uh, who are mathematicians, um, uh, chemists and material scientists to help help our work and then uh, of course within the Within the work we're doing with the Australian Solar Thermal Research Initiative, we work closely with the Queensland University of Technology and CSIRO. They're basically focusing on, let's say, the containment materials for containing our phase change materials and also looking at alternative phase change materials. And then uh, we work with uh, researchers from overseas, from Europe to USA and New Zealand. Um, we actually have a, a research grant from the European Union which enables uh, staff exchanges from uh, researchers in Europe uh, to come and work with us here and we also have a South Australian government funded grant which allows uh, our researchers to go and work with the researchers overseas mm. uh, and so we have lots of collaboration going everywhere and most of the people from overseas they tend to have a background in uh, chemistry, chemical engineering or industrial engineering. Mm. Thanks. Frank, moving on to the Eureka Prize, can you tell us about this prestigious annual science award and its history? Yeah, the Australian Museum Eureka Prize rewards excellence uh, in the fields of the research and innovation, leadership, science communication and journalism and school science. So it was established back in 1990 to reward outstanding achievements in Australian science uh, and science communication. And uh, it's presented annually by the Australian Museum. So it's Australia's most comprehensive national science awards. And each prize is judged by uh, a panel of eminent and qualified individuals uh, whose contribution of expertise and time helps support its credibility. Mm-hmm. And you won the 2015 award. How has that experience been for you? Yeah, well, firstly, I must mention that we have a lot of respect for the other two finalists in our ca- uh, category. 
which were uh, Professor Martin Green and Dr Mark Keepers from the University of New South Wales. He was, uh, they were one of them uh, for their work for spreading a single beam of sunlight across two different types of solar cells to deliver the highest efficiency mm. ever reported for converting sunlight into electricity mm. uh, and obtaining uh, efficiencies of over 40%. So mm. that's uh, quite great research. Um, and also the other, the other finalist was um, Associate Professor Kondo Francis Aguidzinsu from also from the University of New South Wales for the development of the high-cycle, low-temperature, low-pressure hydrogen storage that can power a motorised bicycle over 120 kilometres on a single small canister. Mm. So that was our competition, and as I said, we have a lot of respect for them. Our experience is that uh, we now too are uh, given a lot of respect uh, and we've been commended by uh, international researchers and, uh, and other people from all over the world uh, for our work. So as well as that, what other opportunities does the prize give your research group? Yeah, well, the, the, the prize has enabled us uh, to be recognised uh, for the research, not only really for our phase change material research, but the other en- the other energy research that we do at the University of South Australia. Um, it rec- it recognises us as the leading researchers in this specific uh, field of phase change materials and nationally. It enables us to spread the word that uh, phase change materials can be used to store electricity if the final use of electricity is for heating and cooling. We are, we are storing uh, the energy as thermal energy, but if the electricity needs to be used for heating or cooling, it can be stored as thermal energy, and it, this is the word we try to spread around, and it's the lowest cost method of uh, storing the electricity for cooling and heating. Winning the Eureka Prize obviously will also uh, assist us in attracting substantially more funding now for uh, improving our technology and uh, widening the applications and developing other exciting technologies. And in fact, uh, we've already been given a significantly more funding now from our university and the industry partner to expand this work. So there's lots and lots of opportunities uh, from uh, us being uh, awarded this prize. Mm-hmm. For, you, for those of you that just tuned in, you're listening to the Beyond Zero radio show. Our guest today is Dr. Frank Bruno from the Institute for Sustainable Systems and Technologies at the University of South Australia. We're discussing his research work, including phase change materials at the Thermal Energy Storage Group at the University of South Australia, and his current prize of the Eureka Award for his solar storage. Frank, uh, getting on to the, uh, the, the main topic of interest today, what was your winning innovation? Right, we have combined uh, three innovations to provide an inexpensive alternative for storing electricity to be used for cooling. As I mentioned, we actually don't store electrical energy. We're storing uh, as thermal energy. A lot of people get lost when we mention the word thermal energy. But when the final use of electricity is for cooling or heating, the energy can be stored as thermal energy. I, I think people... We, we've developed... Yeah, sorry. I think people sorry. are getting used now to the idea of of batteries not being just the conventional thing they used to put in the torch, but also you can have a pumped hydro battery or, in your case, a, a thermal battery. Um, the, yes, probably most of the listeners yeah. uh, here would, 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 would be aware of that. Yes, that's correct. But, yeah, we, so we have developed uh, three innovations, three new innovations, which we've, they have to be combined together to work, uh, in order to develop a low-cost uh, energy storage solution. Uh, first of all... One of them was a, we've developed a, uh, what we've known as a coiling tank to contain our phase change materials. Traditionally, there are other systems available around the world, but the phase change materials are encapsulated in tiny uh, containers or balls, and then they're placed in a tank. 
Now, we started work in that area and we found that it, the, the unit became uh, too expensive, encapsulating. So we figured out that if we want to reduce the cost, we need to put the phase change material directly into a tank. And so we've developed this coiling tank that enables you to do that. The phase change material goes directly into the tank. And we use these tubes, which don't take much space. They could take about 3% of the total volume. So you still have like a high uh, compact factor, which is the amount of phase change material that stays in the tank. So these uh, tubes, they, they extract or, or, or charge the system, and they, they extract it and charge it very fast. They're actually arranged in a certain way, so when you do extract the heat, it's extracted at a constant temperature. So that's one of the innovations, the coiling tank. Now, a problem when you put phase change material in a large tank is that it actually breaks down. It's like a, a battery that loses charge over time. Mm. So what we, what we did is we developed this technique, which we call dynamic melting. Dynamic melting uh, agitates the phase change material, and so what it does is it avoids it from breaking down. This gives it a, a long life. We've had a, a phase change storage system which we uh, deliberately made it go flat, and then we were able to apply this dynamic uh, melting technique, and we were able to make it charge at full storage capacity again. So mm -hmm. one of the things that does is it uh, maintains stability, and also dynamic melting also happens to make it discharge quickly as well. It makes, it makes you extract the heat out of it quickly. And uh, ha having dynamic melting enables us to use cheap uh, phase change materials. Uh, so, uh, a lot of the people who develop phase change materials, they have to put additives in there uh, to make them stable or uh, to make them um, not break down. Mm -hmm. Whereas because we have dynamic milling, we can actually use uh, a simple phase change materials and, and, and the cheapest ones that we can find, uh, leading, leading to a low-cost solution. Yep. So that's the third aspect of it, the, the ability to use the cheaper... Yep. Yeah. And this yep. phase, the phase change material you're using, I understand, is salt? That's correct. We, we use salt as our phase change material. Um, there's a lot of people around the world who are using uh, um, organic uh, and paraffins mm -hmm. uh, as phase change material. But we've decided to focus on salts because, I, uh, first of all, the salts are cheaper than all the other alternatives. And B, the salts actually uh, enable you to store much more heat or cooling in a small volume. Better energy so, density. Yeah, they're the main two reasons. Yeah. So better energy density, as you're saying there, with the salt. Yes, the energy, yeah, the energy density of salts is much higher than, than the organic ones. Okay. Are you able to tell us a little bit about the chemical composition, or is that a trade secret, and, and what sort of temperatures you run at? Well, every, every temperature, we need to make a tailor-made combination of salts to, in order to freeze or melt at a specific temperature. So it, we could use any type of chemicals. And we basically work from our knowledge that we've learned on what type of chemicals we to put in there, and then we, we have a testing process. So we, it's all sorts of salts. It could be chlorides, um, uh, you know, chlorides or carbonates or a a anything. So, so that it depends on what temperature we want, we want to make. That answer implies to me that you're actually asked to produce storage at different temperatures. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Yes. Mm. With with our, with our international researchers from overseas, we've actually like developed a database where we, um, from all the work that we've all done, because we we've been working together for about fifteen years, and so whenever we want a specific temperature, we we start off working in our database, which gives an idea of what sort of uh, chemicals to focus on. Mm -hmm. And can you explain to our listeners what this um, energy storage plant physically looks like, and and how the PCMs are implemented? 
the phase change materials. Okay, so what, okay, all right. Well, the energy storage system, what it looks like, it'll be a large tank because, uh, as I mentioned previously, uh, we just put our phase change materials directly in there. We, we have these coils that extract, it, within the coils, uh, a heat transfer fluid goes through mm-hmm. and they extract the heat out or they put the heat in. And th- those coils are located inside a tank and then the phase change material is placed inside the tank. Now, for the, um, yeah, it depends what size storage capacity you acquire, but it could be a small round tank or it could be large rectangular tanks or for solar power plants, they have a huge, uh, huge round tanks. So you're talking about industrial large, not domestic large? Well, at, at present, the, the commercialised system that we have is, a, uh, yeah, is an industrial scale or commercial scale system uh, with about 40,000 kilograms of the phase change material in them. So that's the sort of size that our... Uh, system that we have available at the moment. And making these phase change materials, are you essentially um, brewing your own? You've got your own phase change kitchen there or uh, do you buy them commercially on the market or what? Well at the university we develop the phase change material and then uh, we, we can we can make any way up to about a thousand kilograms for our prototypes. But for uh, uh, our commercialised system, our industry partner, which is uh, Glacium Cooling Ten- Technologies, they're located in Adelaide. They actually uh, manufacture here in Adelaide. But they are now working on a transportable manufacturing unit so that if they get um, a, a project um, outside somewhere, they'll be able to transport this transportable manufacturing unit on site and they'll actually be able to make the phase change material on site. Okay, we've only got about five minutes left. You have some commercial scale pilot plants in operation. What sort of cost and energy reductions have you achieved with those? Yeah, we have one large uh, commercial scale pilot plant in operation uh, on a farm about five hours from Adelaide. Now, this plant, when we started doing this work, it was all about trying to use the cheap off-peak electricity because this work started many, many years ago and it was about using the cheap off-peak electricity during the night and store it and then use according during the, the day. Now, the system there at Perilla, it was never designed to save energy because the thermal energy storage just stores energy and then uses it later. And we're, we're using the cheap off-peak electricity. Mm. That's what that system does. But over the years now, as you're, everyone will be aware, the cost of solar PV has come down considerably. And uh, now this has turned turn the, uh, the way we look at things now. Uh, we're actually looking at using storing excess solar electricity so there's no real energy saving. There's, there's probably a bit of energy saving because the refrigeration plants run more efficiently during the night, but then you have to run some pumps. So overall for that system, no energy saving. But the energy cost saving, well, I haven't actually got the figures, but the, the energy cost savings comes from the, the different rates and tariffs from the peak to the off-peak. And I, I don't have those with me at the moment because we haven't actually finished the, the full cycle, a full-year analysis yet. So, Frank, can you tell us how your storage solution can be used in the renewable energy applications? Yeah, well, within the renewable, uh, within the renewable energy application, the way that we see uh, is the best place to use this uh, technology now is, is uh, put, um, combining it with solar PV. And when, so wherever solar PV is, is um, or wherever there's solar PV and you require cooling or heating, this, you can uh, integrate this uh, phase change thermal storage system with a refrigeration plant or heat plant a heat pump plant, and then that can be used, you know, as a uh, storage system. Mm. Okay. So one of your um, University of South Australia colleagues, 
Dr David Whaley recently presented at a BZD discussion group on zero energy housing development at Lockhill Park in Adelaide. Can you tell me how your research can be used there? Yes, well, uh, yeah, Lockhill Park is the is the Australia's leading uh, sustainable uh, development, I believe. And um, we, 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 I was also involved in the energy guidelines for that. And um, what one of the biggest uh, energy consuming activities in a home is still um, heating and cooling. So our device can be used to store to store in, uh, energy for heating and cooling the home, and. Um, most of the all, the all the homes they actually have solar PV panels, and uh, there are times when they don't actually need that uh, electricity, so it goes to the grid. But if they were to have a storage system, then they'll be able to use uh, the solar electricity uh, to create heating or the cooling, and to have it stored and then use it uh, and use it in their home. So that way, they don't need to uh, get any electricity from the grid. Mm-hmm. And does that marry in with the Climate Wizard project as well? No, Climate Wizard is a project which I did with Sealy uh, International, um, and that, the Climate Wizard is an evaporative cooling system, but it's the most advanced in the world because it actually doesn't add any water in the air that goes inside the inside the building. So it's an indirect system, but it's uh, it actually cools down to the dew point. And when we, um, for example, when we tested it in, um, I've been involved in a testing program throughout Australia. When, when it was tested in um, Roxby Downs, we were able to use this climate wizard to cool air from 42 degrees down to 13 degrees Celsius without adding any water in the air going into the building, mm. which I think is quite incredible because very it's very impressive. difficult to do that with a refrigerator system. Mm. Yeah, that's very impressive. And you're working with Multiple Sclerosis Australia as well on that project? Uh, I'm involved in all sorts of other projects, uh, also related to air conditioning. With the, with the multiple sclerosis uh, uh, people, I was actually asked to see um, if we could prove that people with uh, multiple sclerosis, if they actually use more air conditioning, uh, because they w- they wanted to give them uh, or try to get the governments to give them uh, rebates or to keep the rebates that they're getting. And so, uh, yeah, we uh, we we did some uh, mon- um, well, we did some uh, looked at actually the energy bills of people who do have MMS, and we actually found that, that yes, they do require more cooling, as uh, people suspected, and so um, that there has now been used to basically uh, make sure that these people keep their rebates for uh, the extra electricity they need for their health condition. Frank, we are pretty well right out of time. Um, very briefly, can you just t- uh, mention any exciting plans you've got for the future, um, advice for students wanting to work in this field and, and how we can fi- they can find out more about your work? Yeah, well, our, our future now, uh, uh, for our future, we're going to build upon uh, this technology to other applications. As I mentioned, we actually have funding until 2020 to do the thermal, to uh, make this thermal storage technology work for solar power plants. And we'll also be looking at using this high temperature thermal storage for uh, industrial heat pro- uh, processes to, to replace gas. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where our future lies. Uh, and for students, um, the students uh, who want to work in this field, well, the, the, you know, the next 20 years we're going to be seeing a big shift from the non-renewables, non-renewables to renewable energy. So uh, there's going to be plenty of employment in this space. And so I think it's a great and exciting uh, area for the students to get into. OK, we do have to leave it there and hand the studio back. Thank you so much for your time, Frank. It's been really exciting and we could have gone another half hour, I think.
If you want to listen to this show or any others we've done, you can go to www.bze.org.au slash media slash radio. Just go to BZE site and search for the podcast. You'll find them all there. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.